probably for the first time in my life, I sort of truly believe that I could do it and do it over an extended period. I think whilst I've had this other cloud sort of lingering over my head, it was very much like, yeah, I know I want it. I know I aspire to do it. But whilst this sort of demon's sitting there, I know it's going to be, you know, hard if not impossible. Whereas now I see the possibility of it, which is the most exciting thing of all, where you go, okay, that's a genuine aspiration where I don't think those, well, I sort of know now those roadblocks aren't going to be in the way. Yeah, I think that ambition is burning probably harder than it ever has purely because I actually feel like now I've got faith that I could really do it. Well, anyone who listened to last week's Vic State Cricket Podcast with special guest Will Pukowski would have been left in no doubt over Will's challenges, but also his return to cricket and his renewed ambition to make it back to the very top. The weekend marked a big step in that direction after Will struck a drought-breaking century in Victoria's Sheffield Shield clash with New South Wales. And the man, Jared, who sat down with him was one of our very own, Amazing Adam White. Whitey, good evening and welcome to the show. You did a splendid job of filling in uh, on, I might add, uh, Sports Day. Great to have you on. I'm just grateful I didn't crash the car. Sports Day is a very expensive <laughs> car and I didn't crash it. So, um, yes, no, I had a lot of fun over the summer, but... I, I love listening to Sports Day. So when now I hear Jared, I know that we're not far away from footy. So well, that's exciting. Great to have you on board as a co-pilot. Uh, tuned in many times throughout the summer period, and it was a job well done. But uh, this is mm. this is actually one of the great news stories for me of the summer period. I've often considered uh, Will Pukowski and his career and uh, the whole issue around concussion. And I think, and we'll get to this. I think uh, the extension of some of his answers may have uh, ramifications across all sports, but uh, I can remember about fifth, or oh, would have been 10 years ago, I guaranteed a caller to Sports Day of a very different genre some year, or 10 years ago, that I'd give him a dinner for 10 down at Bill Fergs if Wilco Pekoski ever opened the batting for Australia, because I'd right. never heard of him, and he just plucked this guy's name out as a 16-year-old. <laughs> that cost you a bit. Well, it didn't cost me anything, but it did cost Bill a fair bit. But nevertheless, uh, his name has always stuck with me, and uh, this is potentially just a great story. Yeah, it is, Jared. And I think I've been covering state cricket for about oh, at least 20 years. I, I haven't seen a better talent bat for Victoria yeah. um, in all that time. The reality is, though, we haven't seen it on a regular basis through unique circumstances and that's what will describes his own career as being unique yeah. i mean he burst onto the scene in an under 19 carnival where he just made so many runs it was just crazy breaking all sorts of records yeah they put him in probably a little bit earlier than most people thought for victoria start making hundreds you know it's sort of what he does but unfortunately with all that has happened over the last five or six years we just haven't seen the best of him and we haven't seen him have a have a good run at it. Even when he made his debut for Australia, um, he did his shoulder in the field. So he mm. just had these amazing things happen to him throughout his career. But I think, I think he's turned the corner. And, um, you know, there might be situations over the next 12 months where there might be a, a step back for then, for then to then be two steps forward. But I definitely think he's tracking in the right direction. So, Whitey, 131, his seventh first-class century, uh, according to the resume, but, of course, his first Shield 100 since late 2020, November 2020. It, look, Shield centuries come and go all the time. You know that. But I reckon it was as well a celebrated a Shield 100 as I, I can recall. And I think that's where sometimes it's in the celebration of 100 that you realise how significant it is for the player. 
And Will doesn't usually show that sort of emotion when he scores a century. So, you know, as he says in the podcast, and, you know, I've known this for a little while now, back in, say, October, so we're only talking about six months ago, he thought he was done. He didn't think he would play for Victoria again. Um, He certainly didn't think he'd play for Australia again. But he made a few changes, a few personal changes from a medical point of view that I'm not going to go into now um, because it's not for me to do that. But the changes that he made saw significant um, difference in his in his disposition, in, in everything about him. And what was happening was he was staying to play shield cricket before Christmas, but he wasn't scoring runs. And everyone sort of thought, ah, oh, you know, he's not the same player and all this sort of thing. Absolutely, he was the same player. No one was scoring runs on the pitches that they were playing on, and um, including the likes of you know Marcus Harris, Peter Hanscom, etc. But he still wanted to play cricket. And this was the thing that I took great confidence out of, was that even though he wasn't doing well personally, he wanted to play. Um, so he had that love back for the game. He had that love back for playing with his teammates. And it was only a matter of time until things turned around. And, you know, he finally got a, a good batting pitch uh, to bat on at the SCG. And mm. the rest is history. But it was the complications that I was most interested in, given that uh, it's got a huge extension for AFL football, where there is a... You know, there's a there's a big, big gap, I think, between what we think we know and what we actually know, and yet we're making, or people are suggesting we make decisions on what we think we know. Now, he and many of his specialists treating him thought they knew, and yet he has found others that uh, have found a a conflation, if you like. I think that would be a fair word to of uh, his concussion symptoms and mental health symptoms. Were you surprised at how that sort of unraveled and helped him go forward? Probably not, Jared, because I knew a little bit about what was going on behind the scenes. Yep. But I think everybody is a little bit, I guess from the outside, a little bit confused. That I was talking about this before, that you know, they've got this guy that makes runs for fun and makes it look easier than anyone can make cricket look. Yet he wasn't happy. Um, he wasn't content. He was anxious. And so then when he was having these concussions, um, when he was getting, you know, hitting the head, um, that, that initially was, okay, this is a concussion-based thing. Let's treat the symptoms as concussion. But then there started to be some other incidents where people were thinking, well, hang on a sec, is this actually a concussion? Did he actually get hit in the head? Did he actually get concussed? Um, then as more and more information came out, what has been determined is that a lot of the concussion um, concussion incidents that people thought were concussion weren't concussion at all, and it was it was in the mental health space. It was in the, I guess, the anxiety space, and there was a lot of things that were going on in Will's mind that he had to he had to work out what they were. He had yep. to understand what they were, and then as a result of that, he was then able to get the appropriate. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Get the get the appropriate advice, yep. and then then work on on that. And then the rest takes care of itself. So, you, and Will talks about this in the in the podcast, Jared. Yeah, that yep. it, it wasn't concussion. A lot of the things that he had to deal with, and that's where I think the extension mm. for uh, the wider extension for other sports uh, is really interesting. I agree, Jared. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We might talk and about. I, yeah, sorry, Waddy. Yeah, yeah sorry. I, I think it, you know, it's, I would be really interested now to talk to AFL footballers that have had a lot of concussions, just yep. to talk to them about the anxiety that comes with that, worried about what hap- if it happens again, is my career finished, yeah. all those sorts of things. And, you know, the, the results of, of multiple concussions, what that does to people's mental health as well. I think it, I'm with you, Jared. I think it opens up 
a lot of questions that need answering, you know, moving forward for athletes across multiple sports. Well, I was just going to say, guys, Exhibit A is clearly Nathan Murphy. You admitted as much only a few days ago that the, the concussion symptoms have, have abated and he's been given the tick off, yeah. but he's not quite at a state mentally where he's ready to go back, yeah. which I thought was a really big omission. We might circle back on that in a moment. Waddy, as far as returning to the fold at Australian level, and we know there's a lot of water that would need to go under the bridge for that for Will, but... When you think about it, so Bancroft, Renshaw, these guys, how real is the feeling that this guy, Will Bukowski, remains or has been, has long been identified as the so-called chosen one? Well, he's a much better player than Bancroft, um, and he's a much better player than Renshaw. So it's a question of, um, it's a little bit, and Will says this himself, it's a little bit like um, addressing a hamstring injury. Once, Once you're over your hamstring injury, you're right to go. And for Will, it's once we've addressed this mental health issue, and once he feels he's comfortable and confident that he's over it, he's ready to be picked for Australia. So I think, for me, he needs to finish off this Sheffield Shield season and he needs to then play uh, four or five games at the start of next season. If he's consistently playing cricket, he's consistently making himself available, um, he's a good teammate, um, all those sorts of things, um, I think you're starting to look at him being ready. Maybe it's a year too soon. But I certainly think by the ashes, um, you know, this the summer after this one, he'll be in the Australian team and he'll essentially take over from Kawaja as that solid rock at the top of the order. And, you know, he's only 25, 26, mm. so he's still got potentially 10 years of playing cricket for Australia. Well, when you consider Mr. Cricket didn't really get going until he was 31. Exactly right. I mean, this guy's just coming through yeah. uh, his apprenticeship. And, uh, and, you know, the other part of it is, guys, is that with what he's already gone through as a young man, yeah. the resilience that he's got out of that and those life experiences he's got out of that might sound silly, but it might actually put him in greater stead to succeed because cricket's all about a game of coping with failure, coping with disappointment uh, and not letting it consume you. I think that uh, we'll have this great perspective on life once he's got through this. And yeah, I think it's blue sky ahead. Adam White is with us. Uh, he did an amazing interview with Will Pekowski uh, on a podcast, and uh, it's gone viral, as Sam has said. And, Vic uh, State Cricket Podcast. Give it a listen if you missed we it. Are, uh, we're enthralled by many of the things that uh, came mm. from it. One of the things to me was he said he had no problems with the short ball from a technical perspective, which then brings you back to, okay, well, if he's getting hit in the head, there's got to be a problem with the protective armour. The helmet, if you like, because the, the concussions that you get in cricket are very, very different to uh, the way the mechanisms in AFL football, where a helmet's not going to change it. The brain rattles. But in many respects, in cricket, 90% of respects, it's from direct blow, which the helmet actually does uh, dissipate the force. So have we got a problem with the, the helmet wear? Look, I, I don't think I'm qualified enough to talk about that, to know exactly, but to me, I think it needs to be looked at because I don't, I'm not sure whether the technology is quite catching up with the way that we now see concussion in sport. So now every time a player gets hit on the head, straight away a doctor needs to come out and have a look at things. Now, that wasn't the case, you know, five, six years ago, certainly pre the Phil Hughes incident. So maybe we need more research done into the, the capability of the helmet. I, I think we'll... But Will talks about how he scores a lot from the short ball, and he does. He's always played the short ball quite well. But I would suggest that there's been a few times where he has been hit where he hasn't been in the right position to play the pull shot. So I think technique-wise, he might need to change things a little bit, maybe stepping more inside the line of the ball. Um, 
a couple of times where he has been hit, they've been quite similar. So I think there might be something that needs to be addressed there slightly. But to your point, Jared, you know, I think that in all sports now, things are changing when it comes to concussion. And I think, you know, the approach, the technology, all that sort of thing needs to change with it. And he signed a, a deal. I think it's his, is it his first deal? Why he playing county cricket in the UK? Is it Leicestershire? Yeah, so that's the way it stands at the moment, um, that he's going to Leicestershire to play some games. He went over and played club cricket um, in Surrey this year and played the whole season through, through the Australian winter, which again was always seen as a big step forward that he actually wanted to do that. Um, and, you know, he had a really big season, as you'd expect. It was, it was only playing sort of in the Middlesex League over there in the UK. But, yeah, it's, it, it is looking really good for him. And, you know, it's not like there's any test cricket being played after these two test matches against New Zealand either. So, you know, I think everyone will be able to take a deep breath and, and have a look at things. And I guarantee you, his name will be spoken about a lot once we get to October and November next year when mm-hmm. Shield Cricket's sort of prominent before the selecting of that Indian series. I've got no doubt the podcast would have gone viral also in India who are <laughs> dealing with uh, the concussion of Joe Root right now. He's been smacked <laughs> by everybody. Oh. I think unfairly, because when he played that shot against Pat Cummins in the Ashes, and he's played it yep. quite a few times through um, the Basball era, if you like, of English cricket, they all want to say what an amazing shot it is. And then all of a sudden, it was always going to happen when he got out to it, how was everybody going to react to it? And of course, it was hysterically. Um, I, I, I think it's a, an absolutely low percentage shot for him to play, and I don't understand why he plays it, but he has played it successfully over a period of time. So... I'm not going to knock him for, for doing it once and, and getting out to it. It's like the players that love playing the reverse sweep off the stump. But, but isn't it the exactly the same but, as the torpedo? But hang on. The is, torpedo, isn't... if you launch a torpy from 70 out, <laughs> even on your wrong foot, and it sails through, what a genius, how skilled. And if it, if it uh, slides off the boot, when you do a drop but, punt, mate. But isn't the argument the opposite? Why do you not want to misheard this? But it doesn't, it, doesn't this shot keep getting him out? I, no, I don't think so. Right. I mean, he, 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 it's not a shot that... Um, it's a shot that if most people play, they'll get out to it a lot. I, I just think it was more the appropriate, was it the appropriate time to play that shot? Because, you know, England were in a fairly strong position at the time and it gave momentum back to, to India. I, I think the whole baseball thing is a bit of a joke, to be honest. I, I, my personal view on baseball is that Brandon McCullum has got players playing one-day cricket in test cricket because they don't have the quality of test player to play test cricket properly. They've got a pretty substandard bowling attack. Um, and that's, I believe that to be true. And then when you look back to the Ashes even, what they had to do is they had to create one-day pitches for England's batting because if they provided their normal pitches, the Australians would have rolled straight through them. So this is just giving players belief to go and play their natural game, go and play one-day cricket because if you tried to play test cricket, you'd just get out. So I, I just think it's a, it's, to me, it's a bit of a get-out clause for them. And I think they're getting exposed here in India because they're just not good enough. But, but the not player of the way they play. But the player we're debating averages nearly fifty and scored twelve thousand test runs, so he's clearly credentialed. He'll play well under any circumstances, Sam. So he averaged over fifty in test cricket before baseball, and he's averaging around fifty four with baseball. So yeah. it wouldn't matter what way he played, he's still going to play well because he's one of the best players of the last twenty years. So I'm more probably talking about some of the other players yeah. that if you ask them to play properly, if you ask them to occupy the crease old, st- old school, they'll nick the second slip and get out. So are they having a lend of us then when they're saying they don't need to temper anything and it was more the execution, not the philosophy? I think so. But, but I think I thought the same in the Ashes. 
Um, but what what Brendan McCullum does and what Ben Stokes does is he fills his players or fills the players with a great deal of belief and confidence to go out there and take the game on. And when you have a positive, when you have positive intent and you look at the game really positively, it tends to come off most of the time if the conditions suit. If you go out there and try and survive, so in Indian conditions, particularly if the ball's spinning a lot, you're going to get a lot out, a lot bat pad, all that sort of thing. We well, may as well get caught on the fence. That's the way they see it. Um, and that we saw that in the Ashes. But that could have failed spectacularly in that third test match up at Headingley. Australia should have won that match. They threw it away. Um, they're sort of late on, I think it was day two, uh, when they were in total control. They only lost by 20 runs. Had they won that match, Australia would have been 3 0 up, you know, series gone. And I think baseball maybe, maybe a thing of the past. But. That's the way they're going to play because that's the players they've got. I just don't think they've got very good test players. It is amazing to think there's still two tests left in this series yeah. as well. It's a long grind over there in India when you've got to play the five. There was a tweet from Michael Vaughan as well, Whitey. He said, even when this England team have lost in the last two years, you've always been able to take positives or they haven't been hammered. But this is looking like a wake-up call that surely sends a message. You can't just play one way against quality teams. So with two tests to go... Everything they're saying is the foot's going to remain to the floor. Do you think that's how it will eventuate? Yeah, I do. And it goes back to my point, guys, because I don't think they can play another way. So Ben Duckett's been doing some amazing things at the top of the order. And he's certainly not defying convention, but he's certainly got a lot of people leading their own words who didn't think he was good enough. But again, he's just going out there and they're saying to him, just go out there. If it's a half volley, try and hit it for four. If it's a short ball, try and hit it for six. Play with this freedom. That, that can work some of the time. I'm just not convinced it's going to work all of the time. But if you ask him to bat properly, in inverted commas, I think he'd just get out. Mm, mm. I, I've got to ask you about matters over in Perth just quickly. I want to ask you about the men's tour of New Zealand, of course, which is coming up. But we can't let you go without discussing Annabelle Sutherland, the double hundred, the Fifer, the Aussie women just uh, demolishing South Africa. But what about that a history-making performance from Annabelle Sutherland? That was unbelievable. Yeah, it was. And look, you could say, the, the doubters could say it was only against South Africa and all that sort of thing. But it's the way that she plays the game. Um, you know, her technique is incredible. And, you know, we've had Meg Lanning for a long time that I've always said I'd love to see her play against men with the ball coming onto the bat a little bit more to see how she'd go. So I think she'd do really quite well. I think Annabelle's a bit the same. She's got a really good technique. And, you know, as she's got older, she had that technique when she was 13 or 14 playing cricket at Paran. But as she's got a bit older and she's got a bit stronger, she now hits the ball to the boundary, whereas in the past she might have got one or two. And then she can back it up with her bowling as well. I mean, she's, she's, she's incredible. She's done it in short-form cricket for a while. Whenever she plays through Victoria, she totally dominates. And we've seen it in a test match now. She's, uh, she's the real deal. Her and Talia McGrath, are going to be the next two best Australian cricketers for the next decade. They both do really well with the bat and the ball, and they're real competitors as well. So that's what I love about them the most is how much they, they love competing. Well, a word on uh, another prodigy. I heard Crash Craddock this morning with uh, Jared Waitley talking about a young bloke who scored 200 who uh, moved to, uh, I think it was Delhi, lived in a tent for a couple of years just so he could get to training. No lights, no electricity, no warmth, no blankets. Just uh, just cuddled up to his cricket ball and his uh, kookaburra. And he's, uh, he's knocking out runs for fun. Jace Wall is – we're talking about who are the real deals in, in cricket. This guy is. I know he's only played eight test matches. Yep. He's already got two double hundreds. Um, it's just the way he plays. He's just Because what he's got is he's got the technique. Yeah. 
but then he's also got the the David Warner let's take the game on thing thing. So he's got both. Um, that's what I like about him a lot. And I, I was speaking to some of the Australian players after the first test in India, and they were talking about this guy Jaswal, who they know they're going to have real head headaches with when he comes out here to Australia next summer. He's going to be obviously Coley will be the headline act and probably Boomer, but. I think he'll be a close third. He's just he's breathtaking to watch. Yeah. So good. It's an outrageously good eye, Jared, isn't it? Yeah. The, the reaction time is just, you, you can't talk about enough. Okay, we move on quickly, though, don't we? Because the Aussies are in New Zealand, Whitey. The first of three T20s gets underway Wednesday, I think around 5 o'clock our time. So this is it, isn't it, in a World Cup year in, in this format? This will be the full dress rehearsal, we'd imagine? Yeah, pretty much, because there's not a lot of international cricket to go before that World Cup. So... You know, the Australians will have the IPL to get themselves ready, I guess, um, for it. But this is, you know, we've seen a few players get an opportunity through those matches against the West Indies. But you're right, I think it is pretty much going to be dress rehearsal. There's a, a few of these matches starting, as you said, on Wednesday and then into the two test matches. And um, they're the last test matches we'll have until the Indians come out next summer. So, yeah, I know that a lot of people are cricket fatigued. Um, but I reckon it's a it's a nice finish. The, the dessert's going to be a nice finish to the to the summer because I'm not mm. sure how the Australians will go. I noticed that Cameron Green did get a hundred today uh, down at Bell Reve Over, which is timely. Um, but there's still a few players for the, from an Australian point of view that aren't in the best of form, particularly with the bat. Um, they're going to have a handful um, to deal with uh, in a couple of weeks' time in those Test matches. What sort of dessert do you think it is, Sam? Is it a, is it a uh... Well, it'd have to be a pav. We've argued, we've argued over the pavlova for for centuries. It'd have to be a pav, wouldn't it? Well, it could be. It might be. A, I, I, it might be a good old fashioned uh, bomb Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 yeah, the pavlova. I'm, I'm never going to knock back a pavlova, particularly those passion fruit ones. No chance of that. Uh, and it's the only shame of it, though, for a dessert is that it's a small dessert. I mean, I, I wanted more than two tests against New Zealand in New Zealand, Whitey. That's enough. Yeah, look, no. I agree. I mean, the, the one at the basin's been it's, that's been um, sold out. I think or the first four it's days. It's all right for him to talk like ago. that, but as soon as Collingwood or Carlton lose by a point against each other, <laughs> he's, he's moved on. <laughs> what cricket? No. <laughs> no, it's great pleasure to have you on, mate. I really uh, appreciate your time this evening. The Vic State Cricket Podcast. People listening tonight who unbelievably might have somehow missed it have been living under a rock. Make sure you you, you well, grab it where all you grab your good podcast from. Well, well, the next one is one right down Jared Healy's alley. Right. It's with Peter Bedford. Oh, right. And uh, I chatted to the Wheels, oh, wheels yep, last yep. week. I actually asked him why he's called Wheels because I didn't know. Yep. Um, but an amazing story. I know you've you got to go, but an amazing story about how he used to train at Melbourne Cricket Club at 4 o'clock in the afternoon in February, and then he'd run across the road and go and train with South Melbourne in the, in, the, uh, in the VFL. And in 1970, he won the Brownlow Medal and a Sheffield Shield for Victoria in the same year. And Len Smith thought it was fantastic that he played cricket because it meant that he was fit for footy season. Yeah, indeed. He's, he's a great bloke, great entertainment, and uh, a terrific uh, fellow to boot. And uh, what, a, what a star he was. Whitey, you're a legend, mate. Thanks for being so generous with your time. Anytime, guys. Have a good show.